Hey, do you teach yoga? Have you ever trained to lead yoga classes to be a yoga therapist? Have you ever owned a yoga studio? Maybe even just wondered what it was like for the women and men up there in front of the room on their mats, leading you through endless Surya Namaskars, down dogs, and pranayamas galore? Well, these are their stories and mine. I'm Rebecca Sebastian, a 20-year yoga teacher, 10-year yoga therapist, yoga studio owner, and co-founder of a yoga-focused nonprofit. I've done a lot in the yoga world over the last 20 years, pretty much everything except had a water cooler. You know, a place to share stories, talk about struggles, successes, and find other people who do the same thing that I do. Welcome to Working in Yoga, a podcast and substitute water cooler for yoga folks to connect and build community, to share our unique profession, our challenges, and our journeys with the world. Hey friends, welcome to Working in Yoga. So this week, I am really thrilled to have the wonderful Erica Thomas on the podcast. Now, Erica has her own podcast called The Work In, and she and I talked today about trauma, her experience as a trauma-informed facilitator, and what we can do in real-world practical ways to support students who may or may not be telling us about their trauma history when they come to take classes with us. This is part of my commitment here in season two of Working in Yoga to start talking more about our students as real humans having real experiences in our rooms. I think there's a disconnect between how we talk about our students. So I really want us to lean in to talking about the experiences our students are having with us as we're teaching our yoga classes. Also, I want to mention before we get started that I'm going to invite you right now to hit the follow button wherever you are listening to this podcast. And if you are so inspired to leave a review, I'd love it. Now, without further ado, let's dive right into the chat with Erica Thomas. Hi, friends. Welcome to season two of Working in Yoga. And my first guest is so amazing. And also, every time we talk, we find out that we have more in common, which is my favorite thing ever. So my dear friend, Erica Thomas, please introduce yourself and tell our listeners who you are. Hey, Rebecca. Thank you so much for having me on today. Okay, so I am a online studio owner. With over 25 years of experience in the fitness industry, I got my start in that industry through martial arts. And then yoga came in as really something that I did for my own self-care. It was like a class that was offered between other classes that I was already teaching. And I'm like, I'm already here. I'm going to take care of myself. And what I found in that space, in that little moment of yoga space was quiet and calm. And I just really loved that. And I was going to keep that just for myself. And then all of a sudden, I couldn't keep it to myself anymore. And so I started pursuing my yoga certifications uh, several years after all of this started, right? And it was through yoga that um, I was introduced to a trauma-informed way of teaching. And as I started to go deeper into those kinds of continuing education opportunities, 
I really saw a need for expanding that trauma-informed kind of communication and co-regulation outside of the yoga space and into all kinds of movement because really, you know, yoga is very old practice, right? You could say it's the original movement practice. And so all of these other forms of movement that we have out there in the fitness industry, they can be traced back to yoga. In fact, my my taekwondo master told me that martial arts comes out of yoga. And so with that understanding, you know, what I'm trying to do with my with my trauma release fusion of yoga and and our um tremor response is to kind of give people a way to find their own inner resilience throughout their day, not waiting till it's too late and we're all stressed out and and we we're suffering from all kinds of stress injury and um, phys- physiological dysfunction before we do something about it. There are ways that we can roll recovery for the nervous system into everyday things that we do, no matter what format we teach, no matter what format we use for our own fitness level, all of those things, they can be, they can be incorporated every single day. And so that's really where um, my company Elemental Kinetics was born and um, what I try to do with some of my programs and one-on-one with individuals. I love that. So one of my intentions for 2022 is that I feel like within the yoga space, that's my specific area of expertise. But even for those professionals I know who are fitness professionals, for some weird reason, we don't like to talk about the people in the room. We talk about them in a very generalized sense of like, oh, I need to learn more about my scapula so I can keep their scapulas safe. But that is like the surface level extent of talking about our students. And ultimately, no matter what our job is, whether you're teaching yoga or fitness or payo, some sort of fusion blend or something, we are teachers and we are in relationship with the students in our rooms. And especially in the yoga space, the trauma discussion is one that is really needed because I believe, at least based on my experience of being a yoga teacher and a yoga studio owner, we see a ton of folks who are coming into our spaces with trauma, trying to learn to re-embody themselves, connect their body with the rest of them. And people Mm. use yoga and fitness for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even unknowingly so, like we touched on a little bit in our pre-chat, like sometimes that is not the highest priority when someone walks into a a yoga class or uh, a fitness class or hires a personal trainer, like they're not going to show up and say, I need to be re-embodied. You know, I mean, that's not real high on the, on the list, but that is, it's almost like a, that is a side effect, right? It's a lovely side effect of when you start moving in intentional ways, for sure. But if we can talk a little bit about what trauma is here, just to give people a, um, maybe a more clear understanding, because I find that everyone I talk to and I, I tell them what I do, that I, that I work with trauma release, almost to a person, they will tell me, that is not for them because they've never experienced trauma or that 
you know, they've never been in a car accident, so there's no trauma there. They are not a soldier, so they've not, they don't have, they can't possibly have PTSD or, um, you know, they, whatever the idea, this cultural idea of what trauma is, I think no matter what it is you think about it, it's, it's probably more than that. <laughs> so you can probably count on the fact that as an instructor, everyone in your room has experienced some kind of trauma. In fact, my mentor, um, Donna Phillips, who taught me trauma release and, and learned from David Berselli, she would say that every human being has experienced trauma. If you were born, if you were born, you have experienced trauma because childbirth is traumatic for the baby and it's <laughs> traumatic for the mother as yes. well, even if it goes perfectly well. Our body doesn't read our experience the same way as our cognitive mind reads it. And so there's often a disconnect there. So that's why it's so hard for people to understand sometimes how come my body stays so tense all the time when, you know, I'm not, I don't really have a lot of stress. Like there's no, like I've never experienced trauma. How can I possibly be having some sort of trauma injury response in the body? How can that possibly be happening? Yeah, I think you've brought up a really good point. I mean, especially now we're recording this, you know, sliding into the end of year two of COVID, I think you can guarantee that every human on the on the planet has some kind of trauma. This is really traumatic. I mean, right? It, it's been a traumatic two years for all of us. So my hope is that maybe we can shift into what in my brain I call the trauma positivity movement, because I, I like... In, and I'll say this just because I have I talk openly about having a history of trauma as a child and a young adult, and I run a studio space where my instructors, we all openly talk about our trauma. And when you come into our space, you would hear stories that you would think of typically trauma. But then you have people who just feel sad who come in and feel like they're less than because their stories of trauma Mm -hmm. aren't the extreme versions that you would hear, mm -hmm. you know, if I was sharing my story of childhood, right? And I and I I feel like it's important that we are sharing with our students that you don't have to earn your traumatic experience. <laughs> exactly. 100%. 100%. Because, you know, we think of trauma as an event, right? And, yes. and the, the, the technical definition includes that there has to be some kind of event. But then, but the, yeah, a thing that happens, right? Um, but you can, you can have the same in the body, in the nervous system. The nervous system will read a threat if you're isolated and if you're uncertain about anything, which basically describes the last two years. You've been isolated and we are uncertain about pretty much everything. You know, nobody knows what's going on. And we think that because, hey, you know, our cognitive mind is thinking about these problems and so maybe we can figure it out rationally, right? But but the nervous system reads threat everywhere. We're always reading that, reading the room. And so I, I will speak from my own experience because I would say that I do not have that extreme trauma history, that trauma story to tell, but I spent years in a body that was that was screaming at me absolutely and it had abs and it had everything to do with my ignoring those signals that it was sending 
that it was telling me it was under threat. And I just reinforced that over and over and over again with my behavior unknowingly until it started shutting things down left, right, and center. And, um, and it showed up as, as panic attacks and uh, anxiety and depression and d- complete emotional dysregulation and horrible gut pain and inflammation throughout my body and n- not being able to sleep. All of these classic, classic stress injury symptoms, right? But I couldn't say, hey, I, I experienced this, uh, this, this assault or this trauma event, and I could trace it back to that. No way could I have done that. And so for years, I was denying that that was even a possibility. And so many people are like that. Or you do have something happen and you don't see it as a trauma. Yes. Ooh, 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 ooh. ooh that is real talk, Erica Thomas. That is <laughs> Right, right. So just because you don't think it is, doesn't mean that it isn't to that nervous system. It really, everything, and I've spoken, um, I know you've had Colleen Jorgensen on before. I've spoken to Colleen as well. And we talk about this a lot, about how everything is really controlled by the nervous system. And it really is your nervous system that tells tells your body, what to do, everything, what to do with anything and everything that is, is comes into it. Right. And so if the nervous system is in this state of hypervigilance all the time, that changes the reactions in the body, no matter what the experiences that you're having. So if you're in a state of this, a state of hypervigilance or, or for instructors, often what, what happens is that we, we, we move into this state, this high functioning freeze, as do folks who work in uh, like first responders and uh, police and fire and soldiers, they're trained to live and work in this high functioning, high functioning freeze state of the nervous system. Otherwise they could not run into that burning building. That is not natural. Yes, 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 right? yes. And so for, you know, if you, if you don't, if you're, if you're not aware of how the nervous system is responding to the situations that you're putting yourself in and you're not giving it a way out in a way that the nervous system understands as, okay, now I can let down my guard for a minute. Now I can come back because that's where resilience is. It's in the change. It's in the movement between this higher functioning state of of vigilance and then back into this state of calm. That that delta, the change, is yep. where resilience lives. That's what we want to improve. And that takes practice multiple times a day, not just once a week with your therapist or whatever is, is going on. It lives in the body. So, yeah. Sorry, that was a lot of words. I'll let you. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We take a lot of words here. <laughs> okay. I mean, especially like... One of the things that I think is most important, you were talking about military folks and first responders, people who are trained to work through that high functioning freeze, as you call it, right? Like coming into the nervous system, being able to play with the nervous system and get it to do what you want because you've got to do your job. And and I think that sometimes in that way, we sort of, we have all these stories about trauma in our culture, right? First responders and soldiers, for example, are glorified for this ability to digest extreme trauma and still function. And then when those humans come back home and we have conversations with them, it becomes really tricky because 
in our brains, trauma is a ladder system where there's some poor, likely young girl somewhere in a far away country who has the worst situation we can imagine, and all the rest of us are less than. Mm-hmm. So we're we're ranking our trauma. You have more trauma, so you get more, you know, trauma points. Right. <laughs> right. It doesn't quite work that way. I guess it doesn't quite because it really doesn't. I mean, the, the people could be in the same experience. Like we could have the same event. You and I, Rebecca, we could be in the same place. And because we come from different places, even though we have a lot in common, because we come from different places our experience will will kind of filter that event for us differently. And it will show up for each of our bodies in a different way. Yes. It doesn't guarantee, it doesn't guarantee anything. It doesn't guarantee an out. And it doesn't guarantee that you're definitely going to be suffering with some sort of long-term effect. It, it's just, and this is this is the hard part about it, right? Because we all want this quick fix. We want to say, okay, I've had this event. I am experiencing these um, these symptoms, and can I go to the doctor get the get the one pill or whatever? Tell me to do the one thing. It's not, and then it will go away, right? And and that can't. That isn't. That's not possible. how it works. No, the body is too complex for that. And it's beautiful that way. Um, but we need to be able to read it a little bit better. Yes. And I think that these are skills that we as wellness instructors, fitness and yoga instructors, we can support our students with those basic skills. I mean, I don't think you have to be an expert at trauma to be able to hold safe space for students in a yoga class. But one of the things we have to talk about in order for us to hold safe space is that those humans are there. And Mm. perhaps in my theory, and you can tell me if you agree with me, but in my theory is that there's more of them percentage-wise in our fitness and yoga classes than there are if you were going to to Whole Foods at the grocery store. I I think that those humans tend to find us. They tend to find our classes. Yeah, yeah. And, And one of the things that happens if you... Uh, if you have had some kind of trauma history or not, if you're just super highly stressed person, you know, I mean, we want to, one of the symptoms of that is that we get kind of cut off from our body over time. And, and, and in that, a lot of things can come up, right? Like we can, we can feel like, um, oh, the body, like my body is not digesting anymore. I'm not getting enough nutrients. I need a health coach. I'm gaining weight. I can't lose weight. You know, all of these things that are typical um, wellness reasons for somebody to show up in a gym can be triggered as as part of that stress response, right? Um, because it it messes up our hormone levels. We just kind of throws everything out of whack. And then there's that physical piece, like um, being able to really feel your feet, for example, or um, your posture, right? Sometimes, so posture, I feel like posture is pretty big for people. We sit all the time, right? We're we're always talking about good or good posture, but that posture actually reinforces a very um, protective state in the body. So the, the state of protection in the body is this curled up forward posture, we reinforce that by sitting that way all the time. And now we're telling the body that, yes, we are unsafe. Yeah. 
So, so if someone is walking into your classroom, um, they're like, oh, I'm, I need to work on my posture. And now they start to open the body. They can release that protective state. It affects the nervous system and they're going to find much more uh, relief than what they originally planned for, right? <laughs> they're, yeah. The relief they're looking for is just, you know, a better shoulder posture, better head and neck posture, or better balance or something like that. What they're going to get is a deeper state of calm because secretly they're communicating that through their body to their nervous system. There's so many ways to do that. There's not not just one right way. And that's why you can do that in yoga. You can do that in um, in a Pilates class. You can do it in a core class. You can do it in a boot camp. But your instructor needs to help direct that awareness. That's that's the piece. When, when you mentioned holding space, that's a piece of holding space. Because we want people in our room to be present in their body. We don't want them to just be locked on the person in front of them, copying them, right? That, that takes my focus outside of my body. I need my, I want my people to be able to be in their body so they know what it feels like, what something, what, when something feels right, when something does not feel right, and when, what will it feel like if they change it and to empower them then to make those changes on their own. It's, it's really, it's exactly what you talked about. It is a skill. It is a teaching skill. And we are teaching a skill to our people so that they can use it themselves. We are not just hoarding that skill. Like, <laughs> we don't need to keep it for ourselves. We're trying to give them the skill because they have to live in their body the rest of the hours of the week until they come back. Yes. So they, they are the ones that need this. So it's a, a shift, I think, in, in the way you approach how you teach. Yes. And I like that you're making analogies of posture, for example, also talking about how somebody's posture isn't always indicative of trauma, that it responds every person's body, as you said before, responds differently to trauma. So somebody's bad posture could also be a learned posture that they got from their parents and watching their parents sit there. I see Mm -hmm. that with little kids sometimes. I'll see them mimic the posture of their parents. And because we're all so aligned with posture, I'm like, oh, look, isn't it interesting that mom's right shoulder is hunched in and forward. And so is her five-year-olds like, Mm -hmm. because we're such little tiny, our brains are, are mimics. Um, I I think that's really important that you said that not everybody in our room is going to present in the same exact way. Right. Right. And, and, and as an instructor, you know, we, we are hopefully working hard in the room to watch the bodies in, in the present moment. Hopefully that's part of how we teach is that we're watching. But what we have to be very careful of is not to make any assumptions about what it is that we see Yeah, in yes. front of us because it's really easy to do that without, without knowing. And in a group setting that, that presents, you know, maybe another uh, layer of of um, complexity because you don't want to call someone out about, you know, you never want to call an individual out necessarily. Um, But we certainly want to encourage people to kind of find their just right range of motion and their, their safe alignment that works in their body. Um, 
and to be able to play with that a little bit. So yeah, it, it's a, it's, it's an, an, it makes it a great job though. Right? Yeah, it just, <laughs> I just, we're always so, it's interesting and never the same, right? You've never yeah. taught the same class twice. Even Absolutely. if it's a room of the same people week after week, it's never the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. For, for humans whose bodies aren't safe spaces, but likely have been told by a therapist or a doctor or a friend or your grocery store clerk, um, go try yoga. And for mm-hmm. some reason, they said, okay, I'm going to try yoga. What cues, tips do you have for the teachers of those? Because we do have humans in our rooms where their bodies aren't safe spaces. So the mm-hmm. idea of calling attention to your body's awareness feels unsafe. Mm. What suggestions do you have for those? So I I use um, I have a couple of go to cues uh, for that I use with with my classes, and I'll share some of those to with you. But just knowing that no particular cue works for everyone or in every situation. So I I like to encourage my classes to really notice what's going on for them in the moment, right? So we, we always want to like incorporate the essence of, of, of yoga, right? So it's, it's feeling and breathing and, and being present in the moment without any judgment or competition or expectation, right? So what I try to explain usually at the beginning and, and throughout almost every class is that every single day you come to the mat, you are a completely different new person, So what you know about your body or knew about your body yesterday could be completely different today. And whatever you notice today is, is okay. It's, it's okay to feel what you feel right now. There is no judgment there. And we are taking, we are trying to practice ahimsa, right? We want to practice that same kindness we offer other people. We want to practice to ourselves, And if we can only do it in how we're standing in warrior one, that's okay. <laughs> you know, like right. just, right. <laughs> if, if that means um, backing away from the pose, that's okay. So noticing what's happening in the moment, and then um, allowing yourself to just observe. So my my goals with my my students are to help them pull back a little bit from uh, getting kind of sucked into that, like what you were talking about, like a, a feeling in this unsafe space. But if you can pull back and kind of hover over what is happening in your body, just for now. So so. Those are other things. Just for today, just just observe without without anything hap- without any judgment. There's no right or wrong or or good or bad or or anything in the body. It just is what it is. We are just who we are. That's it. And um, and those are things that come up a lot, especially when we move when I move people into the self induced tremor. Um, is to be able to uh, feel the body move because that's a big thing. Like when we when we're doing trauma release, the body starts to move in in very very easy ways. And when I say easy, I mean um, effortless, right? So we're not trying to make it um, move, but 
part of that practice is just watching that and noticing, okay, is my effort level coming up or is this just too weird for me? Like that's the, that's the other piece here too, is that sometimes our effort goes into um, psychological effort and emotional effort. And those count just as much as physical effort. So for example, if we are in a yoga pose and all of a sudden we are really, really irritated all of a sudden, <laughs> like angry, um, that is emotional effort coming out. And isn't that interesting, right? Like to be able to say to yourself, I'm feeling really pissed off right now in this warrior one. Where is that coming from? What? Yeah. <laughs> where, <laughs> where did that come from? It's okay to feel it. This is something, this is the, this is a problem for people who are, who have experienced traumas. They've never been in a place where it's okay to feel. Yeah. That that it's okay to feel. And and that could be difficult in a group setting, Rebecca, because people get, um, no matter how hard we try, they get embarrassed about expressing themselves, right? Yeah. And, um, but it happens in yoga. It happens a lot. I mean, I've, 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 I've myself have like burst into tears at the, you know, just lying in Shavasana. I'm like, I don't know what's happening to me right now. Same. (laughs) And it comes out of no, it literally comes out of nowhere. And sometimes you can, sometimes it attaches to a story. Sometimes it doesn't attach to a story. Sometimes it's just like, I don't know what's happening. You know, it's just, but it's okay to feel those things we're, we're letting them out. It's when you don't let them out that they get stuck in tension. Right. So, so those cues about noticing what's happening, being allowed to feel what you're feeling in the body and then giving, giving the free, giving folks a freedom to move in and out. So we are practicing this idea of titration. I don't know if you've ever, do are you familiar with titration? I am, but I hit us up for our listeners. Okay, so, tit- so titration is just this this term. It's actually a chemistry term, <laughs> but we're using it in trauma um, when we talk about uh, movement in the body. It's kind of like you're 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 adding just a little bit at a time. Yeah. So it, it, that's basically what it is. You add a little bit of something at a time. And if, when you're talking about a yoga pose or a body position, you might be, let's say, in in a deep lunge. You're holding that lunge and then the sensation in the body uh, starts to escalate up, you know, in an effort, in effort in some way, physical, mental, uh, emotional, and then you can back off. And then when you come back in, you might be able to go a little bit deeper into the pose or just touch back into that sensation again. And, and titration gives you permission, should be given in a way that you have permission to move in and out. So it's all about that, that, um, being empowered to, to make that your own practice, right. Um, to be able to play with that in a way, not, uh, looking up at the front of the room, at your instructor and doing like she does or that front row person. I know we've talked about being a front row person, (laughs) right? Right. That, that whole comparison (laughs) that happens in group classes, this, but, but being able to do that in a class as a student does take 
time. So, so if that is something that you're offering to your students, perhaps we just do it around one pose, right? So this pose, the purpose is not to do the splits. The purpose is to actually not do the splits. Yes. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so let's see how little we can do. Right. And and I know for my practice, that was huge. Like my challenge is to back away from poses that are challenging. That is actually my challenge yes. um, to not dive in and like really make it the Instagram picture Take it by the horns and say, this right, is my thing. I'm going to, I'm going to slay yeah. that Ashtavakrasana. Yes. You know? yes. <laughs> so. yes. It is. So. And I think our balance is the finding that sweet spot of having a balanced practice is a challenge for us as teachers, mm-hmm. for, for us to facilitate for our students. I mean, mm-hmm. I do think we as teachers often feel like we have to be more advanced in our asana practice or our posture practice Mm-hmm. Than our students, which is rubbish. No, you don't. And so I find it interesting to watch teachers struggle with that idea mm-hmm. of being able to take a step down, but still teach. Right. Right. It is actually, it was a godsend when I started stepping off my mat and not participating <laughs> in classes. <laughs> it really, it really is. Um, it is lovely. And, and you get a chance to really connect with the students when you're not so focused on what it is that you are, your performance, that's what it is. Like when you're up in front of the room, it, it, it feels like a performance and um, nothing you do up there, no matter how hard you're doing it, it's not going to make that class any better for your students. They don't yes. burn more calories if you burn more calories. No. Nope. They don't, it just doesn't work that way. When I taught group classes, I never brought a mat. As a teacher, mm-hmm. I didn't have a mat because A, I thought it, it it held some sort of sacred reverence for students that I was uncomfortable with. That that mat mm-hmm. in the front of the room was always where they needed to be looking when my job was to get them to be looking at what was happening with themselves. Yeah. So I was like, I was like, why am I adding this distraction? But as a teacher, I also used to use it as home base. Yeah. When I got uncomfortable in my teaching, I would go on my mat and do the practice, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's lazy teaching. I don't want to be, I want to be better at my job than this. Right. So I took the mat away. Yeah. And yeah. I lo- yeah. I love, I love that. Um, I think, I think so many instructors, they really are looking for ways to be better at their job. But I think it's super important to really think about what is your real job? Yes. What is it that you really want to do? What is it that you're really teaching your students? Because maybe it isn't sun salutation. Like maybe that's not the real lesson that you're teaching. Maybe it's not that Tabata series, you know, (laughs) maybe that's not, maybe that's not your real job when you're in front of the class. Yeah. Just just something to think about. I don't know. I've been thinking about it today. So Ooh, <laughs> I, I like that. Okay. Erica, share with us because I'm gonna end there. Like you that's so good. That is so good. <laughs> <laughs> like I had three more questions and I'll just ask them to you when we stop hitting record. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. <laughs> that sounds good. That's fine with me. That was, that was good. (laughs) 
<laughs> so give us two self-care tips that you do for yourself as a teacher to care for yourself. Mm, okay. So I rework rework these often. This is kind of something that I'm that I work on. It's not something that I keep, okay, I'm gonna be real strict about this or that. So I will tell you what I'm doing now. And um, right now I have started incorporating um, my own trauma release practice in very, very small bites at the end of my uh, morning workout. So I'll just, I mean, we're talking five minutes. So um, I think sometimes people get hung up on the idea that they have to do whatever it is that they that they want to do, whether it's a workout or, a, um, you know, their meditation practice or their yoga practice. They, if it's for themselves, it has to be some sort of big complicated thing and it doesn't. So for me, just lying on my mat for five minutes and letting that tremor go through my body, just five minutes, no more than that every single day is better than trying to get in a 30 minute, 45 minute, some, some sort of big practice because I know I'll do it. And what is the point of self-care if you're not going to do it? Yes. There yes, isn't, yes, there isn't one. <laughs> yes. so, so there's that. And then um, the other piece that I am doing for my own self-care right now and just for the month of January is that I am doing dry January. So no alcohol this month, which is tough because it's my wedding anniversary and we're moving and gosh, I could really use some wine. But <laughs> just, it's just for a month and you know, it actually, I'm feeling much better. Mm, so. I love, I love that. I'm, you know, not one of those humans who's judgy about it, but I don't drink because it interferes. That's that's always what I've told people is that I never had in the way that we have to justify our trauma to other people. Mm-hmm. I, I oftentimes feel like I have to justify the fact I don't drink with people like, no, no, it's not because of this. And I didn't, you know, find myself yeah. on the floor of some bar in a random city or something like that and had a light bulb moment. I just have a lot of stuff to do. And I think yeah. not drinking makes me feel better. Yeah. Yeah. And I found that I have found that since um, the past couple of years, I mean, I turned 50 last year, but I found that alcohol actually, it affects me differently now. And I don't know if that's a real thing, but, but like my hormones are all different now and, and that it doesn't feel good anymore. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it feels like poison. And why would I willingly do that? Um, I'm not saying I won't ever have a glass of wine again, but honestly, I mean, I think COVID really did a lot of us a disservice. Yes. Yes. I never used to drink during the week until like, until COVID hit and all of a sudden that's okay now. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's okay now. It's definitely (laughs) not good for me. So yeah, just this this month and it'll probably, I'll probably forget about it by the end of January and uh, who knows, I may never, never drink again. And that being said, for anybody listening, there is no judgment on how you no. get through the day. Eat your chips, drink <laughs> no. your wine, watch no, your no. Netflix, hit hit like a blanket and Netflix and a wine and a cake and text us your picture. That is all that Listen. is all nervous system regulation. Absolutely. No, I no, I will be the last one to judge anyone about cake. If you're gonna eat cake, eat <laughs> no, right. the good stuff, you know? I mean, listen, there is life is too short. So Yeah. 
Erica, tell everybody where to find you. You can find me on my website. Probably the easiest way is through the website, elementalkinetics.com. And you will find links there to my podcast, The Work In, and all the show notes and stuff there. Uh, you can also uh, reach me through my contact page and an inquiry if you're interested in um, anything that I do or offering that to anyone that you know. I have a day retreat coming up in March that is going to be amazing and um, hopefully will be in my wonderful new home. So I am super excited about that in-person stuff. I'm on um, Instagram at Elemental Kinetics and on Facebook, it's a little different, Elemental Kinetics Move Well. So you can find me there, LinkedIn, all that stuff. It's all good. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Erica. You're welcome, Rebecca. It was awesome as usual. Thanks, Erica, so much for coming onto the podcast. Now, all of you listening, make sure that you check out her work on her website, www.elementalkinetics.com, and make sure that you snag a listen to her podcast, The Work In. Now, if you hit Erica's website, she has something that you might be interested in. It is actually a free guide to five essential elements to create safe and trauma-informed classes. So if this is something that you're looking to dip your toe in, go to Erica's website and grab that free guide. Now, next week, I am running a solo podcast where I'm talking about one of the odd parts of our jobs working in yoga and that is loneliness. It is part of why I started this podcast because for years I felt really isolated. We have jobs where we're not working directly with our coworkers and there often isn't a network to connect us together. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about that next week. If you've ever felt that way as a yoga teacher or a yoga professional, you'll make sure that you check that episode out because you'll wanna hear about my story and some of the strategies that I have used over the years to feel a little less lonely. All right, I'll see you then.